Hi, this is Adam Bultel from Mission Row Bible Church. Before you listen to the following sermon from John chapter 14, I wanted to update you and apologize for the sound quality in the following sermon. Because of some of the renovations that are taking place at our church, we were required to meet at a park next door. So over the course of the recording, you're going to hear the wind blowing and birds chirping and children playing. Just wanted to update you on that before you heard the following sermon so you know exactly what you're listening to. I hope you enjoy uh, the passage that's before us in John chapter 14. We've been walking through John chapter 14, which is a passage in which Jesus is informing and equipping his disciples for life after Jesus leaves. So he's been telling them all sorts of different, different things that they need to be aware of because Jesus' time of departure has come. The time in which he is going to be crucified, buried, resurrected, and then returning to the Father, that time is at hand. It's a point in time that we've been longing for all the way through the Gospel of John, and and it's in this passage that Jesus says that time is finally here. So, here's what you need to know. Here is how you need to be best equipped for life after I am gone. Now, Jesus is well aware that the fact that he is leaving the disciples is a fairly painful reality for them. So, With that awareness, in this passage, Jesus gives the disciples some of the benefits of his departure. We could say that Jesus, in in this passage, is giving the disciples the the silver lining to his departure. That term, silver lining, is a, uh, a term that refers to the positive side of a bad situation. It's, it's, it's the, the good news that comes from something bad that's taken place. It's the, it's the consolation in the midst of a painful situation. For example, we might, we might say that when someone loses their job, that's a difficult scenario. But the silver lining is that they didn't like that job anyways, and they, they, can, they can look for another job that they'll enjoy more. That's the silver lining in the midst of a painful situation. We've got a few seniors. Who's a senior? We have Savannah, you're not a senior. Bree, is it just Savannah and Bree? Okay, so we've got Savannah and Bree that are, you guys are going to be leaving soon. Going on, woohoo. Sorry, this is, no, 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 this, this ties in, right? So you guys, like Jesus, you're leaving. Which is like kind of painful, but also there's some silver linings. Like we don't have to deal with you guys anymore. So that's cool. No, that's uh, no. We'll miss. We always miss our seniors. But there is silver lining to that painful situation. Like you guys move on to a new stage of life, and 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 you get to start investing in college ministry and building new relationships and getting to know new leaders. And that's that's all silver lining in the midst of a painful situation. While it's going to be sad to see you guys leave, we're going to push you out the door because because that's a good thing. And, and, and Jesus is saying that same thing in this passage. Jesus is like, I'm leaving, and I know that that's a painful situation. I know that that's going to be a painful scenario for you, but know that it's best that this happens. Know that there are many benefits to my departure. Jesus is leaving, 
And there's absolutely a sense in which that is sad. But in this passage, how we're going to break this down tonight, is that Jesus gives five benefits of his departure to heaven. Five benefits of Jesus' departure to heaven. The first one is found in verses 25 and 26, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit is coming in a way that the Holy Spirit was not there before. Just earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus looked to his disciples and he said, The Holy Spirit was with you, but he will be in you. The role of the Holy Spirit is changing for believers after Jesus leaves. And Jesus presents that as a benefit to his departure. He says, I'm leaving, and I know that that's painful, but know that the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit has so many different roles that are outlined in the New Testament. He convicts us of sin. He enables us to live righteously. All of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 comes from his presence in our life. Romans tells us that He gives us life. He he indwells us. He leads us. He bears witness that we are children of God. He helps and enables our walk with God. But Jesus in this passage does not draw attention to any of those roles of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, He points out two specific roles of the Holy Spirit that's coming in the lives of His apostles and ultimately in the lives of believers. Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There are two unique roles of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Jesus refers to to two things that the Holy Spirit is going to do. The first one is that he will be a teacher. The second one is that he will be a reminder. Those are two roles of the Holy Spirit that Jesus draws out exclusively in this passage. He will be a teacher to you, and he will remind you of that which you need to know. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, Jesus says in verse 26. So I want to break those down. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. What I want you all to understand is that what Jesus is saying in this passage is most applicable to the disciples that are around him. Remember, this is Jesus. It's called the upper room discourse. He's in the upper room with his 11 now, 11 disciples. He's spending time with them exclusively. And what he is saying in this passage applies first and foremost to them. So when Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be your teacher and the Holy Spirit will be your reminder, I believe that Jesus has really key in his mind the 12 apostles. Now, We're going to find some implications of this for us. But the reason I draw your attention to that is because when it refers to Jesus as the teacher and the reminder, I think that the primary application of that for the the apostles is that Jesus is going to enable them to write the New Testament. Like what Jesus is saying, have you ever wondered 
Can we trust what the apostles say about Jesus? Like, on what basis do we trust their word? On what basis do we take their word for it? This passage, I believe, is talking about that. Jesus looks to his apostles and he says, The Holy Spirit is coming and he is going to remind you of everything that I've said. That's how we can trust what the apostles wrote in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit taught them and brought to their mind what they needed to know to write the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was the teacher. And he was the reminder for the apostles. Now, I believe that those are the immediate effects of what's said in this passage. But that there's ongoing implications for you and I. The New Testament talks regularly about the fact that the Holy Spirit teaches you. He is a teacher within you. That, that He is giving you information that you need, but it's important to note that none of the information that the Holy Spirit gives you is exclusive or new. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came and He taught and we have his teachings recorded because the Holy Spirit reminded the apostles of what he said. As we read those teachings of Jesus, the Holy Spirit teaches us through them. That they become even more clarifying and we have even a greater understanding than those who first heard it because we have the Holy Spirit. Several times in the New Testament where Jesus looks to the people after he's just said something and he says, You don't understand this right now, but you will. You will. The day is coming in which you will comprehend what I'm currently saying to you, but that day is not right now. The Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us to understand and comprehend that which Christ taught. He never gives us new revelation. He never gives us something contrary to what Jesus says. But the Holy Spirit teaches us to understand that which Jesus says as he continues Jesus' mission. So Jesus promises that. The disciples are in the midst of a difficult situation and Jesus looks at them and says, there's a silver lining. There are benefits to my departure. The first one is that the Holy Spirit is coming and he will teach you and he will remind you all that I have said. But there's more than just that in this passage. Number two tonight, the second benefit of Jesus' departure is the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus. Draw your attention to verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. When we kicked off John chapter 14, the first sermon in verses 1 through 6, we titled Calming Assurances. You guys remember that? Calming assurances in verses 1 through 6 because Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, I know this is a difficult situation, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid because you have a home in heaven. I'm going to prepare it for you. Well, that same message is continuing all the way through where we are tonight. Jesus says at the end of this passage the exact same thing that he said at the beginning, which is don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You have every reason to be confident. Why? Because Jesus, when he left, gave us his peace. 
What does that mean? Peace, the peace that Jesus is speaking about in this passage is a confidence, a calmness, an awareness that no matter what the circumstances, that God is in control and that our requirement is to be submissively obedient to Him. Jesus is on His way in this scene to the cross. And he knows full well that it is a painful situation that awaits him. So painful that that the moments are going to come in just a few hours where Jesus is going to say, Father, if there's any other way, please remove this from me. If there's a way for me to not go through this, cause that to happen. And God says no. So what does Jesus do? He endures the suffering. He willingly goes to the cross despite the pain. He, he, he has a calming assurance that no matter what he's about to go through, that, that his requirement is to be submissive to the will of God. And so that's what Jesus does. As he's able to maintain a peace on the way to the cross, he says, if I can endure this, then the peace with which I leave to you will enable you to endure whatever God has for you. I'm leaving you my peace. The peace that I have, you can have. And that is a benefit to my departure. Jesus promises that to those who believe in Him. I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with my peace. The peace that's promised to the disciples in this passage is is the same peace that's promised throughout the New Testament to all believers. That we are defined by a peace, by a calmness, by a confidence that God is in control no matter what the scenario. This is a refreshing and again a calming assurance. You may look at your life now and feel like There aren't that many trials, or the trials that you're facing are are insignificant. And and that's okay. God God may grant you difficult trials at some point in your life. Know right now that if you are a follower of Christ, that Jesus has given you His peace by which you can endure any situation. It's the same peace with which Jesus endured the cross. And that, that type of peace is powerful. Is powerful. This is a type of peace that the world could never give you. Know that. That there is no one in the world that has the kind of peace that a believer has. That's what Jesus says in this verse. Look at the middle of verse 27. Not as the world gives do I give to you. My peace is nothing like the peace of the world. Their peace is defined by circumstances. My peace is defined by knowing God and knowing that He is in control and knowing that I'm simply asked to be obediently submissive to Him. That's what Jesus models for us and that's what He gives us. So the first two benefits of Jesus' departure to heaven are first the Holy Spirit and second, the peace of Jesus. 
the conclusion to what Jesus is saying in, in, in this second point is, is don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. God's in control. There's nothing that man can do to you. God is on your side. There's no one that can be against you. And God is on your side. Those are the thoughts of Jesus that He wants to leave to His disciples. I'm leaving and it's difficult, but I'm giving you my peace. But there's a third benefit to Jesus' departure. This one's really interesting. In verse 28, the third benefit is that Jesus is reunited with God. Jesus is reunited with God. He says this in verse 28. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus, as is indicated by the fact that this chapter exists, Jesus is fully aware that the disciples perceive his departure as painful and difficult. We could go so far as to say that the disciples don't want Jesus to leave. Well, Jesus is going to push on that in verse 28. Jesus essentially looks to his disciples and he says, If you love someone, you want what is best for them. That's just true of what genuine love is. If you love someone, then you want what is best for them. Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, I've told you that it is best for me to go to my father. So if you don't want me to go to my father, if you don't want what is best for me, then you don't love me. It's an interesting statement by Jesus. He says, I've told you I'm going to the Father. I've told you that I need to go back to Him. Why are you mourning? Why are you upset about the fact that I'm leaving when that is what is better for me? Jesus says, I'm going to the Father who is greater than I. It's an interesting statement by Jesus and one that has been twisted by a lot of people to indicate that, that Jesus is, is not equal to the Father or that Jesus is, is a lesser God than God the Father. It's not at all what Jesus means when he says the Father is greater than I. In fact, if you just pay attention to the Gospel of John, that, that would clearly be a contradiction to his message. He is, Jesus has said throughout this Gospel, I and the Father are one. The Father and I are equal. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. That has been a clear message. What Jesus is indicating in this passage is not a statement about inequality or, or being a lesser God. He's making a statement of authority. And he's making a statement about his own submission to the Father. Jesus is saying to his disciples that, that I, in this time, have humbled myself. We, we just sang about it a few minutes ago. That, that Jesus, Jesus laid aside his crown. Not that he stopped being the king, but, but that he stepped off of the throne. That, that he stepped away from, from that role in heaven and took on flesh. Still fully God. Still fully the, 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 the king of the world. 
but that he humbled himself and became a man, submitted himself to the will of the Father and endured the cross. Well, the theologians refer to this time in Jesus' life as his time of humiliation. And what's coming is his time of glorification when he is reunited with the Father. When Jesus says the Father is greater than I, he's not indicating that he's not God. He's not indicating that, that he, there is not equality between the Father and the Son. He's not saying we're not one. All he's saying is that I have placed myself under the Father. He is my authority and I'm returning to him. And that that is what's best for me. So if you love me, you'll rejoice in that. If you love me, you will want that for me. So Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, the benefit of me returning to the Father, the benefit of me departing, is that I'm reunited with my Father. I'm reunited with my Father. And that, that's where Jesus is today. Ever wonder that? Like, like where exactly Jesus was on earth now? He's in heaven. He ascended. Jesus right now is with the Father, this very moment. The term that Scripture uses is that He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus at this time is united with God the Father. And that that was exactly God's plan and exactly what was best for Jesus. To be reunited with the one who sent him. Jesus indicates another benefit of his departure. Number four is that his departure is a proof of Jesus' identity. A proof of Jesus' identity. This is indicated in verses 29. Jesus says, And now... I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. That's the question. Why, why does Jesus keep talking about his departure, the fact that he's leaving? Like He's, he's going to continue talking about this for two chapters. Why does he keep bringing this up? What Jesus indicates in this verse is that the reason he's talking to his disciples about this is so that when he leaves, they'll remember that he told them that this was coming. When Jesus ascends to the Father, that they will remember he told us that this was the plan. And in remembering that, that that will prove to them, that that will affirm to them, that that will confirm for them. That Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is saying this knowing that the disciples will remember this conversation. Knowing that this will affirm his identity. You have to put yourself in the uh, you have to put yourself in the feet of the disciples in this conversation. Imagine if this conversation didn't take place. What if Jesus departed and he never told the disciples that that was going to happen? So you have these, these 12, now 11 men who have devoted their lives to Jesus Christ and they're following him and they're obeying him and they're committing themselves to him and then one day all of a sudden just bam, he's gone. 
Put yourself at the feet of the disciples, in the shoes of the disciples. His departure probably would have caused most, if not all of them, to abandon the faith. Like if just all of a sudden, this man who said that he loved them and cared for them and, and, and would, would, would die for them, all of a sudden he just disappears. He's gone. Wouldn't that cause you to have questions about who that man was? That's why Jesus says this. So that they would remember when he leaves that he told them this was coming and that this was what was best. That this would further God's salvation plan. That the Holy Spirit would come. That He would leave them peace. That He would be reunited with God. And that in His departure, they would remember, yes, this is exactly what He said would happen. He is who He said He was. Which in the scope of this passage, is that He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's prophesying His own departure. And when it takes place, it will confirm His authority to His disciples. There's one more. One more benefit to Jesus' departure. Number five is a display of Jesus' obedience. A display of Jesus' obedience. It's revealed in verses 30 and 31. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Everything that's going to take place, ultimately in all of Jesus' life, but specifically from this point, until Jesus returns to the Father is a display of Jesus' utter obedience to the Father. Jesus closes down this passage, and he's looking at his disciples. They're about to travel to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, get up. Let's let's go. Let's, Let's leave this place. And his indication is that in leaving this place, that they are initiating and kicking off the events that are going to lead to his death. I've told you that I'm leaving. Let's go. Let's leave this place because my time of departure has come. Everything that I'm promising you right now, this is the time. Let's get up and let's go. Jesus is telling his disciples that in the midst of everything that's about to take place, I need you to remember that I'm doing what I'm about to do because I love the Father. And because I love Him, I obey Him. And that is a truth in which Jesus becomes a model for us. Remember all through this passage, if you have your Bibles open, you can glance real quick at verse 15, verse 21. Verse 23, verse 24, in all of those, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do you know if you love me? You keep my commandments. Jesus then becomes the model for that truth. Jesus says, 
because I love the Father. I do what He says. I'm going to put on display my obedience as a model for you. I'm going to show you my love for the Father by my obedience to Him. And so He puts that on display. And everything that takes place between now with Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension to the Father is a display of how obedient and how much He loves God. The exact same standard is called for us. If we love Him, we will keep His commandments. If we love Christ, we will do to Him what He does to the Father which is obediently submit himself to his will. So that's it. That is the silver lining. The the five benefits of Jesus' departure to heaven.